0: Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. I'm your host, Roy Samuel. I'm a serial entrepreneur, having founded multiple businesses, including one that I scaled and sold to a gaming company in 2018. I've been an investor for the last five years, and I'm super passionate about mental health and neurodiversity, suffering with severe ADHD and dyslexia myself. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people, from academics to actors, entrepreneurs to investors, politicians, musicians, scientists, and everyone in between, and we talk to these people about risk, risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Jide Maduwako. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Jide is uh, an entrepreneur. He's had a super exciting career. He's the co-founder and CEO of Yoke Network, and also a former footballer. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So. I'm obviously fascinated by risk, so where I want to jump into this with you is for probably a considerable part of your early life, you thought you were going to be a professional footballer. You go all in on that, yeah. and then you got to pivot. How much did that experience inform your relationship with taking risks and going all in on things?
1: To be honest, it's, um, it was an experience that always made me feel like I have to be different and I have to kind of achieve and be part of that 1% that does achieve. Because like uh, my it always came from, like, my parents and, like, my mum. Like, my my dad was always, like, well, he wasn't allowed to play football when he was growing up and stuff. And he was, like, um, well, I want you to, like, try and live out your dreams and stuff. And my mum was, like, proper, like, education. Like, you need to get this degree. You need to – she wants me to – she wanted me to be a doctor. She still right. wants me to be a doctor. <laughs> always, still to this day. Yeah, in <laughs> passing, she'll be, like, oh, you, you'd be such a great doctor. But, um like – she was always like yeah oh if you're playing football only one percent of boys want to make it only um like not everyone makes it and I always just was in my head like yeah well I'm gonna be part of that one percent I'm gonna do it and then um to be fair I didn't do it to the scale or to the level that I wanted to but I still was able to like put pen to paper Mm -hmm. and um that was like uh very like confident thing for me it helped me to build like confidence in myself as well to know that I could achieve um so fortunately like I had that experience and then it allowed me to know like well if I can do this I can kind of do anything and uh, yeah that's that's what i say
0: so you knew that it, there was no fear in taking those risks and also it you know you become uh very aware of the fact that risks can lead to failures right it doesn't always work out the way you want to and do you think that's something which has served you well
1: yeah it served me well because I had that blind faith as a kid like I was always like well I'm gonna do it I just can't see why I couldn't and like I've always just had that in me to be like yeah I can achieve um I can do it and um I was just comfortable taking risks because I think looking back now as an adult like I had an environment where I really could because I had the support of my dad I had to support my mum. I had, like, my aunties and uncles who I grew up with, who I could look up to, and they were, like, all in, like, professional careers, good role models. So, like, for me, I was like, well, I'm always going to do well, so I might as well try out stuff that I can. And my mum, she was the type of person that she would put me through everything. Like, when I was a kid, I literally... Summer holidays, there was never an idle day, like, I'd be (laughs) at a summer camp. Um there was a time when I was a kid I was in chess club I went kumon I did um so I did golf when I was with my dad like as a kid like for a bit so like I was always I was exposed to so much so it's helped me with with my later life to be able to like actually know all right well there's different things that you could try and and like I've always been like trying different things but my mum was always like don't be um a jack of all trades a master of none so like she's like eventually you're gonna have to like focus and double down and specialize on something so i've always tried stuff and i'm like i feel like as you said like you're a big advocate for like adhd and stuff i i haven't been diagnosed or anything but i was that kid in school that um the teachers were like yeah he's got ants in his pants Yeah, yeah, yeah so like um and those who like know me when i was like a kid like in school i used to just be like i wasn't got good in class I was I was a high achiever so like I'd get good grades and stuff and that's why I was probably was able to stay in school mm-hmm. because they were like well he gets good grades and he's a good athlete but I was uh, just a menace so like yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah it it helped me that foundation just growing up um and having like a pretty good childhood and yeah. fun memories it it gave me the confidence like in life to just be able to take risk and know that um yeah you might as well try so
0: I think that's, that's that's a fascinating backstory. I think it makes so much sense and, and totally uh, uh, I identify with a lot of what you're saying there in terms of that that struggle in school. I could actually never do well academically until I got myself treated. I just, I couldn't make it happen. Um, but somehow I just scraped through. And what do you think the first big risk you took was? So wh- when, how old were you when you founded Yoga Network?
1: Um, I was 24. Right. So okay. when I was 24, um, I was working at Sweatcoin previously. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, I first, like, I've been taking risks my whole life, to be fair, I'll be real, because I was a risk-seeking kid, like, my risk to reward ratio was, like, has come down as I've, as I've been an adult. Um, so, like, early on in life, like, I was literally that kid in school that was selling sweets and stuff. Yeah. So, like, I'd be, like, I'd, I'd, like, leave school at, like, lunchtime and go and, like, re-up on my on my stock and stuff, and then I'll be sending like PE days. I'll be going Iceland and doing lucasade. Yeah. Um. One I think it's like fifty P lucasade. Selling it in school for a quid, stuff like that. So great margin, fifty percent <laughs> margin. margin. So it's not too bad. But then as I as I got older and took like real serious risks in life, it was mainly like with yoke. I think it was more of a calculated risk because mm-hmm. at the time when I started yoke, I was living at my mom's. Um, I didn't have anyone in terms of reliant on me or dependent on me. I was just like um, kind of out there trying to – I finished I finish university and I was like, well, I'm working at Sweatcoin mm-hmm. and I'd been involved in like kind of like crypto and stuff for a bit. So I had enough like capital to just like say, all right, well, I'm going to like take the sleep of faith because where I was working at Sweatcoin, like had an exposure to like creators and mm-hmm. we were growing crazy like I think – we were growing through like a lot of Snapchat pages. Yeah. And we actually went from like, I think it was 1 million downloads to like 15 million downloads yeah. in like seven months, all like Snapchat pages Insane. and stuff. So, where I was working then, we were a small team of like five, six people. Wow. Like so, you were London. in super early. Yeah, like super early. Like, I was like, like, what the hell was this thing? Like, you know, and I was, and I'm, and can I, I was, I'm a busy yes, guy. Yeah, like I'm can, proper yeah. busy, like, in terms of like, um, The way I am, like, I get obsessed with stuff, like, to a, like, a weird way. Like, so I was, like, up at 2 a.m. And we were going through these Snapchat pages. But because I wanted to learn, I'll speak to them. I'll be like, oh, why are you using Sweatcoin, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll kind of be, and they'll be like, can you pay me early, stuff like that. And I'll be like, I can't. But, like, if you guys promote a little bit more, then, Mm -hmm. like, I can. So I'll try and incentivize them to, and, like, kind of play games to, like, make them want to be more reliant on the product. Um, But then at the same time, because we were startup, I had do other roles. So, like, I was selling, like, Sweat Queen to um, advertisers so that we Mm -hmm. can, like, monetize the actual app itself. So, I was doing a bit of, like, the social, like, growth. But then I was also, like, doing the sales and, like, learning about, like, the processes and stuff. But we were, like, super, super early. So, I kind of felt within the team there, like, the founders are phenomenal guys. And I got so much respect for them. Mm -hmm. But I felt that it wasn't my calling to be there long term, even though I wanted to and had a lot of enthusiasm, but I was so raw, like coming out of university, yeah. like doing like all these like little growth hacks, like these projects, crypto, all of that stuff like before. So my main goal going there anyway was just to learn mm. and like, um and understand. So then when I took the risk with, um, with Yoke, looking back, I'm like, why did I even have the confidence to do this with like mostly me and him? Cause like back then I swear I didn't know what net 30 was. Yeah. I didn't know what like CPIs were. Yeah. I didn't know like all of these terms and industry. So like taking that risk me and I was like, well, I've literally sold to a client and um, we got like 10, we made like 10,000 pounds in like uh four days from like driving growth through, um, for this client. I think it was called that like, Scribd, which was like some audio app. Yeah. yeah. And I, I did that deal. And then, on the influencer side, because we were paying our creators on like a cost per install mm-hmm. basis, like I was seeing creators get paid like 2k a day, 3k a day yeah. for like helping us to just grow and they'll get paid per install and stuff. So I was like, yeah, there's a lot of money in this, yeah, but yeah, yeah. let me try to figure it out. So um, we eventually kind of did um, and and we did after we started Yoke. I mm. think so. Yeah.
0: And just going back to the experience with Sweatcoin there, so was that a risk you know obviously going to university and saying well I'm going to join a very very early stage startup with barely any people I mean that's a risk in and of itself rather than going down corporate grad scheme route for example
1: the maddest thing about it is that I didn't like I'd hear people going on grad schemes and all of that stuff but I genuinely was thinking like I don't. why would I want to go and just be like a number and I was I've always thought I was like if I was ever going to work anywhere I want to going to, like, the top level or, like, as high as possible. Because I've seen it with football where, like, you see players who are playing at, like, elite levels and they're, like, they're players in, like, the Premier League that are not even as good or as players in the, like, championship or even conference, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, League One, League Two, non-league. But the difference is the consistency Mm. and the education and the learning. Like, you get taught how to play Premier League football. Um, but then lower down in the leagues, you get taught how to play men's football. So it's like different it's really things. So it's about what you get taught. So I was like, well, I want to go in and learn from people who are creating and leading, and that was my thinking going into Sweatcoin anyway. And um, and I just, I just was like, I've, I've never, I didn't ever actually believe, like, apart from playing football, I didn't think I was ever going to work for anyone. Yeah. So like, it was actually, it's weird to say, but it was actually me, um, kind of like an ego hit. To go and work at Sweatcoin, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I understand
0: like, that. I totally understand that.
1: Yeah, it's like it's mad thinking about it. like now. I'm talking about. I'm like, right Like, I feel, I feel completely. Um, I don't know. I had that blind faith, and I yeah. didn't un- really understand how the world worked. But um, I'm, I'm starting to figure it out now.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, I, I totally understand that. When I when I started real sport, I was literally in my last year of uni, and I was like, what was I doing? Like, how yeah. did I have the confidence to do that? Like, but it's not it's honestly it's delusion yeah like it's genuinely delusion i say this on most episodes because i'm speaking to entrepreneurs like the first time you do anything obviously you have no experience you've got no education in it especially with something like building a startup trying to build a business the only way to do it successfully is to go in with that blind faith with that delusion with that confidence that self-belief because you know You've got to you've got to go to that level to have any chance of making it work. Yeah, one hundred. So, so you've you left Sweatcoin. You're yeah. like, that's it. Caution's the wind. I'm gonna start. Did you know what you wanted to start? Did you know what Yoke was gonna be?
1: So when we started Yoke, we just wanted to create a platform for cause for creators to um, be able to monetize their audience. Like, but it was like we wanted to give the upside because we thought that the um, value would balance out for advertisers. Because as an advertiser or as a business you want to grow Mm. new customers um and as a creator you don't back then it was completely different because like in terms of influencers and creators and stuff there were creators who will post like uh, and get a million views and get like no downloads and Mm. that was a big issue for like advertisers at the time like there wasn't actually any guarantee and people hadn't sussed out like oh well there's a way that we can actually get value or and the deals were like so it was very very early to an extent uh and so like we were like well if creators get paid per download then if they get like a million views and like on um, 10,000 installs they get the upside as well yeah. and advertisers they get the new users so it's perfect um so that was the initial vision when we started out um and since then it's just evolved and evolved into to what we're kind of doing now it's, it's fascinating because um out of interest, what year was that then that you founded Yoke? um so four years ago so it was like 2000 and july june 2018 yeah so, okay
0: yeah. and it's it's amazing so when i i founded real sport early 2014 and this was literally at the time before people understood what online monetization of content was yeah. like there was I remember there was a South Park episode which came out around that time yeah. where they were taking the piss out of YouTubers <laughs> for being like yeah now how's anyone ever going to make money on the internet do you know yeah. what I mean it's crazy how much the world's changed in 9 years and 4 years and all these things but I remember one of our competitors uh, a company called Sports Lobster yeah. they had paid Ronaldo a couple million to basically do a testimonial on the app store um like a uh, review description of the store did nothing. Really? But they did nothing. The thing about it, is it that, did nothing at that na- time because like it w- wasn't the same. So yeah, you know, it's just so interesting to see how it's evolved.
1: Yeah, it's evolved completely. Because I think now I, um you could see how you would drive value. So like if that was me and now I'll be like, well if you pay Ronaldo, what you would want to do is you like use that content in all your ads, mm-hmm. use it as social proof and essentially use that million to essentially make you net savings in the future yeah. because if you say you work to Ronaldo no matter what you've got that credibility you know yeah. um but he may not always drive the conversions you know um that was I it don't know. I don't know but it's, no
0: but that that's that's that that's I think you know the perfect example of it is you know if you pay uh an influencer to do something you don't know what you're doing with that content and you can't be smart with how you amplify that you can't be smart with how you distribute it you can waste a lot of money, right? Yeah. That's why you've got to be smart and have the right strategy.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, what I realized um, I, over the years, and just when like when we were first starting, it's like if people got burnt by influencers, they were they were embarrassed to say like they had been burnt. So like yeah. you'd see like CMOs or like big companies, and they were like, "Yeah, we paid this creator like X amount and got nothing from it." But they'd be whispering it, like, and yeah. then when they're speaking to like the next agency or anything, they'll be like, "Yeah, well, it hasn't worked for us in the past. It doesn't work." But really and truly, it's like. They weren't admitting to themselves that um they didn't know the strategy or it was just a thing that people I think their ego like what happens is a lot in like advertising, what I noticed is like everybody has an ego to know that they're right, but at the same time like um it's there's so much to learn, you know so yeah that so yeah, I think that's that's another reason why
0: yeah, and what do you think about? the new technologies that are coming through web three at nfts more specifically let's say the ability to reward creators in more meaningful ways is that something you guys are looking at is that something that's exciting you guys
1: yeah i think i see a future um just in in terms of with web three where anyone can uh derive value from creating content in some format uh what i just think now is that it's still very fragmented as a market um and there's so much um like new ideas that are going to get people burnt and turn off. Like, if you think about just even, like, the creative economy and the even, not even the creative economy, the internet, yeah? Mm-hmm. it's. I, I was listening to a book recently, and um, it was just saying about how, how much harder it was for Amazon to scale because mm-hmm. they literally had to, like, get their own servers. They literally had to host their own, like, shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but now it's like, you can literally get... Like, you can literally run and scale a business up to, like, 100K a month, 200K a month, and it will cost you, like, probably running costs, like, less than a grand, you know? Yeah, and because yeah. And there's so many subscriptions and, like, um, SaaS services. So much tooling out yeah. there, like,
0: it just allows you to do what you need to do.
1: Exactly. So, that compounds. So, I think that with Web3 and, like, even the creator um ecosystem, what's happening is that in... Uh, I don't know the time period But I predict over the next 5-10 years Mm -hmm. It's going to compound Where it becomes um, A lot more easier For Like everybody to derive value And for the ecosystem to thrive Mm. Um, But right now Because it's still fragmented There's um, Some ways where people can't derive that value Mm. and, and, And people get burnt But and
0: and it's it's fascinating and we talk about risk and i think one of the biggest risks people can take is to try and become content creators because again it's one of those things you need to go all in you need to have that dedication that commitment to get anywhere with it do you see a future where there is enough attention enough engagement to sustain the amount of people who want to create content
1: so i think that the future is content creators are just going to be uh, creating content in different formats. So different people derive value in different ways. What we learned early on is that, um, that whole becoming a KSI becoming a like mega star. They're the 1%. Yeah. Even less than 1%. There's like a group of creators that literally are running the internet in terms of attention. Yeah. But then there's a, a massive long tail, um, where a lot of people can derive a lot of value. Um, and and that's where i think there's going to be a lot of different services to service different people and like what we're doing now we're focused on um we've been focused on like that long tail and providing different services for people to derive value um because we used to work with like the biggest creators and like even at yoke we were one of the we were probably one or two of the earliest um the first ways for creators on tiktok to monetize wow because we were very early to it um We were. It was before TikTok even had an ads platform. Wow. So, like, it was literally um, creators will jump on our app um, and get paid out for installs. And because back then the organic reach was crazy. Like, we literally had some... There's one creator, I'm not going to name his name, but he knows who he is. Name him. I'm I'm joking. joking. (laughs) He knows who he is, (laughs) but he literally came onto the app and he earned, like, 20K in a day. Wow. Back then, because he was growing so... He was so viral, so organic. He created this ad for, like... Um, this VPN, VPN app, and he okay. was just driving a bag like crazy installs. Yeah. Um, but then what happens is that when that organic content starts to get pulled back as TikTok is growing as a platform and it needs to monetize, mm-hmm. and there's an ecosystem that they've built, um, then the organic reach gets limited and um the creators can't earn as much mm-hmm. and then when the creators can't earn as much they want fixed deals mm-hmm. and when they want fixed deals as well more advertisers come into the ecosystem like the Nike, like apple like, i've even seen facebook ads on tiktok you know yeah. like um and they start to work with the creators so mm. that's why we moved towards like more of the long tail and smaller creators because we genuinely can help them um and we're not as much doing cpi and stuff anymore we like we'll we'll pay creators like flat fees and stuff so because it's just a lot better and more value for them Mm -hmm. but I'm now obviously with like advertising tools that we built um we're able to help advertisers get that upside yeah and and stuff so so there's um the business has evolved but um I think that the creative space there's just that long tail there's going to be more businesses like us Mm -hmm. and um and in different variations of how you can engage and and derive value for creators Mm -hmm. for that content and then obviously for advertisers as well.
0: Super interesting. And I think one of the things you're talking about there as well with, you know, uh, organic starting off very very strong on new platforms then as time goes in they build in their ad serving ecosystem obviously decreases and i remember when we were running real sport we could create content and organically get three million views with no spend obviously those days are well well and truly behind us um so do you think um because you know you see tiktok come up is it going to be new platforms that come up or is it is it finally that Transitions to new technologies that allows people to say you know what we're not going to let it become so centralized in that way or is that just the pipe dream
1: um i think i, I to be honest i don't know i think tiktok's going to be around here for a long time mm-hmm. our main reason being is because they're in their infancy like it's funny we have this phrase that we say internally because we've been literally on tiktok for like three and a half years wow yeah, working on it so um Obviously, we work across other platforms now, other social platforms and stuff. But I told the team, I'm like, we know more than staff in TikTok, like. And I say the reason why is because we we've, we've been doing it longer. We've been focused on this specific problem, and we know and we've done everything. Like we built organic pages. Like the mm-hmm. wave, still has like four million followers, and that was 100% organic. Yeah. Um, we've like driven millions of new users for like app and advertiser clients. So I think for TikTok specifically it's going to be here for a long time because it's like in its infancy and they're still growing out their service. They're mm-hmm. still investing in like their ecosystem and trying to understand how to help advertisers more and like build out their platform because their ads platform is like 18 months, two years old mm-hmm. now. So if you compare that to like Meta and like Facebook, it's about 10 years old, yeah. their ads platform. So they got a lot of growth, but um, there's that. And then I think just the ecosystem in general, um, in terms of like web free and like the creator economy, there are going to be so many tools because there are different social platforms and different ways that you digest content. Cause there's short form video. There's like, um, which is like TikTok. Then there's like still photos. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go, you know? So there's like the photo, uh, there's like more longer form content in terms of like YouTube and like, you see like Mr. Beast is doing stuff like that. Yeah, And then,
0: I mean, that's just insane what he's doing. I mean, it's crazy. It's honestly redefined what, creators are able to do and redefined I think how the way uh you know serious investors serious funders look at that space I mean you must be so excited when you see that potential
1: yeah I think um what he's doing is like phenomenal because in terms of the way that he's thinking outside of the box and basically turning YouTube into Hollywood um I think that that's that's phenomenal and it will be good to see yeah, there's not going to be not everyone can be a Mr Beast but it's going to be good to see how more creators can probably take his model mm. package it up in a smaller way and like grow their own ecosystems grow their own businesses because the attention's there and like going back to my last point like there's so many different ways to digest content in terms of live streaming that hasn't even like there's Twitch but that hasn't even like gotten to yeah where it can get to yeah it hasn't really broken out gaming in in the way that you thought it might have exactly so with with that i think different types of content get digested in different ways Mm. and there's even netflix as well Mm. like in terms of that is that's a subscription platform but like it's streaming you're streaming like there's so many different ways that we're just consuming content but then within there there's going to be different ecosystems to like give value to the creators and yeah the, on the screen and stuff so it's exciting
0: i think it's fascinating i really think the big winner is going to be especially with what's and this is going to be a bit out there so bear yeah. with me on this one but yeah. with everything going on in the world at the moment and people have lost faith in governments people have lost faith in the ability of the government to provide for them either as individuals either for us as society mm. and with energy crisis cost of living going up i genuinely think it's going to be platforms which learn how to, mo- to reward the uh consumers yeah those are going to be the ones who are going to win because all and I, and I see it already and again this is going a bit of a tangent but yeah. a little bit in the us when you had uh roe v wade being overturned yeah, yeah and then amazon step in and target step in and they say well we'll pay for people to go get an abortion and yeah. that alignment of value with your content provider with your you know um, uh, your your consumer provider, like Amazon whatever it is like I see more and more that these platforms are going to come and occupy that space yeah. and I think if there's a platform that can figure out how to help consumers make money where it's like okay now I'm going to be rewarded for watching yeah. I think those are going to be the serious winners
1: I think I 100% agree with you and I'll build on what your point is and I actually think to add to that it's not even just about making money it's about the right value mm-hmm. because like you see it with like HubSpot in terms of like HubSpot is like a SaaS business and it's actually become, becoming a media company and it's got its media arm.
0: Wow. I didn't know is, that.
1: So like they're acquiring podcasts, they're acquiring different. Yeah. Really? They, no uh, so they've built out their, um, it's like HubSpot media network, I think wow. it's called. And then with that, they're essentially through content, they're te- um helping the audience, te- they're teaching audience on how to build their business, you know? So I think what's what the value of like Web three and crypto is, is that there is going to be more marketplaces of um uh, that will allow people to trade value, you know. So um the value and obviously the archaic way is that that's through currency, mm-hmm. um through like this is my currency. But then the the switch is that currency is going to be in different formats, mm-hmm. you know. And and that's the exchange of value. And that's I personally think that where light years away from that and yeah and, but that is what it would eventually compound to i, I personally believe.
0: I, I I totally agree i think it has to get there and i think yeah. um obviously things like ftx this week have <laughs> not not done huge favors i don't know if you i was deep into solana I, yeah, yeah. i've taken a blood bath i don't know uh, i like
1: so ftx had staking yeah yeah so they had like a nice like staking um function so they, they 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 literally they've taken my Ethereum. yeah, yeah. but um like it happens in it like i think it's the age old thing on crypto anyway you're not meant to leave like on um, money on like your your currency on Yeah, yeah. so it's like um for me i'm like well i kind of knew but at the end of the day it's like um that that's going to happen i can't let it affect me
0: yeah you know? of course of course and i think it's um it, it's it's going to be a really interesting one to see if we ever do and when we must eventually get to a stage where the the actual use cases of the technology become accessible enough that people can see it beyond just an just another asset class right yeah um out of interest, what do you think is the use case that takes us through to more people utilizing these technologies?
1: The use case yeah um what do you see cracking it at? Mm. at least within your environment well, within my own environment, I think it's it's like through create through actually creative payments and that arbitrage no not arbitrage that transfer of value mm-hmm. you know that transfer of value in terms of like content and then you get this reward for the content so yeah. I think early on you're seeing it do well with like NFTs and stuff mm-hmm. but I, I think I don't know the way I think is like I, I get obsessed with stuff so like in my my first answer to what you just said was I was like well when globally like everybody has devices that mm-hmm. they can then um, have like the software to be on those devices, yeah. then that's when it's like gonna work because like, Interesting. if you look at like Africa, um and like a lot of the emerging world, they've skipped like the desktop phase and gone straight to like mobile. So like when I was in Nigeria early in the summer, like all my cousins are obsessed with like phones and like little mobile and it's all like obviously they're like Android. Um, devices and not everyone's got iphones like yeah. a western thing apple's like a western thing but in these emerging economies it's all mobile mm. so they're on social media but then it's digital payments because there there's such an unbanked economy super interesting so they need the digital payments so like um to be able to actually get access to banking or else like and because there's their actual country so fragmented like in terms of like There's like not outside of the big cities that aren't really national grids, like right and and stuff like that. The only way that you can actually like um, transfer money is like probably going somewhere where you can get like Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is kind of more ubiquitous now, Mm -hmm. but actually having a mobile device, getting Wi-Fi, then you can jump on the internet, Mm -hmm. and then from that it's like digital payments. Like there's like you know what I mean. So like there's we're so far away in terms of it globally, but I think it'll pop early in like the big major cities like in like London. New York.
0: That's really, really interesting. Yeah. So do you think there's a chance actually then if you can get that proliferation of technology to uh developing and emerging economies that actually the adoption rates there are gonna be even far better than they are here because that's the only option.
1: Yeah, yeah. The adoption rates are gonna I think that it's gonna be more useful in societies that aren't our society. Because what we have we have this thing in the West where and, like, in, in, like, London, in, like, these major cities, like, lo- a lot of us sometimes don't even go out, mm. like, London, or out, or, like, you'll go from, like, London to New York to Miami to yeah, Vegas, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, to, like, all these ma- major cities, but you don't go to, like, my village in Nigeria, like, where, yeah. like, you know, like, when I was there, I was like, yo, like, this is a different thing, like, you know, it's not, it's not like there's no Tesco's around there, you yeah, know what I mean, yeah. so, like, um, when you get out, and that's majority of the world, Yeah. so when you get out, You realize, like, wow, like, um, because there is the economy is like twenty years behind. Mm -hmm. Like, you can build the future here now. Do you know what I mean? Like, instead of having to build, like, go through our process. Yeah, you know. So the rules, the the government, everything can be rebuilt for the future. That's amazing. So it's oh. such
0: an exciting opportunity when you put it that way. It's, yeah. It's, and I guess that's why there's so many amazing like fintech platforms coming out of of Africa. Like I know Flutterwave, everything was the first, yeah, African yeah. fintech unicorn, right? Like, so it's 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 a really really interesting. I was we we're at an event last night and people were so excited by the opportunity of of you know doing business in Africa as well and saying especially now that China has become much less business friendly let's say but yeah. um yeah it's it's really, really interesting so i've got i've got five questions that i ask every guest that i'd love to, to go through not quick okay. fire or anything cool. um if you could identify the single biggest risk you've taken in your career what was it and what was the outcome
1: um i think the biggest risk in my career was um i'd say it was starting yoke um that's like the biggest risk because I I lay I made sure that I was it was waited for me to not be able to, not do it mm-hmm. in the sense. So like I was like, well, I'm gonna just start have to live off my savings. I'm gonna like have to like not have a job. Like even the first three months as well, because I was in my mum's house. And yeah, I was going like I was like, yeah, my mom I'm off to work today, but I was going to we work to do <laughs> yoke and then and then like um when we first got got our first client and stuff and it and it was looking. Like it, we were going they had some life. I was like, Yeah, mum, I quit my job last week. But well, it was three months ago. So like, that that was that was like the biggest risk, I'd say.
0: That's
1: amazing. And what stage was Sweatcoin at? Because Sweatcoin obviously was, you know, like
0: sweetheart of a crypto community. I mean that's that's yeah. we're not talking about just leaving any job.
1: Yeah. Um Sweatcoin was actually so I left like a few months after we close our series A.
0: Right, okay. So that's, I mean, that's what's getting super exciting as well.
1: Yeah. But the thing is, I just felt that I was like, mm, I think I'll be, a, I think I'll end up being a number here because I felt like for my personal journey and my personal development, I needed to be able to make mistakes and I needed to be able to um, have some more freedom. Yeah. But I don't think I was disciplined enough at the time and I needed to get stung, um, which I've been able to do with like yoke and, and like try different things and yeah so I, I don't think I was refined enough to actually be successful long term mm. yeah,
0: yeah I, I mean that, that is really interesting and I suppose as well that you know just when that when a business is going into that post series A it is when they need specialists rather than generalists so i i I, I can a a lot of people right it's one of the brutal things about startups is sometimes the team that gets you to that level like it doesn't always transition there but you got ahead of it and and had bigger plans anyway
1: yeah i it's actually interesting because like um a lot of things that i didn't understand previously they make sense now so like with um with that i'm starting to see like all right well there's um Things that you were doing earlier on, like year what in the first twelve months, and year like one to three, and then three to, and you're like, okay, well, you're gonna need this type of person. Mm-hmm. You're gonna need this type of person. Now. And I'm more of the person in the business is that um, I wanna I wanna be loyal to the people that got me there. So it's like, how do you kind of help them to evolve? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and 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 like obviously at a point there. has to be changes and stuff yeah it's about how do you communicate that how do you uh, i think that's what a good leader does they're good at communicating on reasons why they have to make decisions and um that's what that's what i'm having to learn
0: yeah totally and i think it's um uh, like you i feel like you're a real people person like like me and it's it's always one of the hardest things a leader who is a people person to understand how do you start giving that hard feedback how do you make those hard decisions and still something which is never easy it's never mm. never fun to do but I think it's just transparency isn't it yeah
1: that's yeah. where 100% like I, I've always been transparent from like day one like because I'm a bad liar and I learned that early Like I'm just I'm like I've, and, I, and I'm bad at being someone that I'm not yeah. so like I've even tried to copy people in the past and then it just don't work out and I just yeah. feel like fuck why, why have I done that so I'm always just like super honest and sometimes it's like too honest and um I think as well I used I used to have like a, a lot of a temper when I was a kid and like i have grown up to like not have it really mm. and just to be very super calm and like um more like well this is it and and like have the ultimate but I think some my biggest flaw is probably that I try to help too many people sometimes yeah. um but I'll oh and I blame myself a lot because I'll be like well yeah it's my fault this has gone wrong Like i feel like if something's going wrong in your organization mm-hmm. as a leader it's your fault like, yeah you can't really blame it it's either your fault because you hired the wrong person yeah and it's true yeah, it you know know is I mean? like, that is the case right it is yeah. the case but you can't beat yourself up about. that no you can't but um yeah so it's just it's just interesting but but it is
0: really interesting and it's the thing is like i get the feeling we're quite similar on this is i'm a, I'm a placator I yeah. like to placate I like to I like to I don't like to let people down. Yeah I yeah. like to make sure people are happy. Yeah. But ultimately, and especially about the economy how it is right now, ultimately the placators are the ones who who end up getting fucked. Yeah, because, yeah. 100. Because if if me or you, if we try and placate everyone in our business, everyone we actually end up making the decisions that harm the business and then ultimately it's on us.
1: Yeah. I I personally think sometimes I, I like I actually say to myself, I'm like, Am I like I, I feel like I need to be what like a more bad person to be successful, you know, and that's the fight that you kind of have to have because it's it's it's. I don't think enough people talk about yeah. it in terms of like. There's times when you actually have to be very Machiavellian. You have to be very like, look, this is the way, or you gotta go. Hundred like, percent, like, and you have to be comfortable with that. And I think a lot of the people who have been super super successful, there's gonna be a story about like. Um, yeah, this guy done me over. This that. So I think it's about coming to terms of like, who, how um, do you do it? Mm-hmm. But how much do you care about other people's opinion? Because mm-hmm. the further along you go, like even doing this podcast now, you may get an odd off comment or like, you know what I mean. And uh, you're probably looking at reviews, seeing that stuff. But um, you have to get comfortable with people not not feeling your vibe all the time. 100%. You know, and that's 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 what it is. The bigger you want to go in life, yeah. Um, you have to be comfortable with um, negative opinions and yeah. and 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 people saying stuff that you don't agree with and be embarrassment, you know, yeah. um, and that comes within <coughs> the organization as well. Just yeah. like you have to get comfortable soon with like being like, yeah, this is zero tolerance, and yeah, stuff. and like I'm um, turning a knob and twist a knob, but it's it's a journey, it's a progress, and I ju- it's a process, and I just don't think that a lot is spoken about enough, you know. I agree. I so, totally
0: agree and the thing is you know, I spent too much of my life as a people pleaser and then yeah. you realise no matter what you do you can't please everyone oh you can't you know so the quicker you can make the peace with that just as you said the quicker you can make the peace with that and realise that like I've had situations where you know I've treated people incredibly well at work and for whatever reason it's not worked out mm. it could be two years down the line it could be a year down the line and you know all of that loyalty you gave them all that placation that you did <laughs> like and it's like as soon as they're no longer involved, all bets are off. Yeah. off. Do you know what I mean? Like they will throw everything you gave them back in your face. And you just realize, because that's what it is. Like, you know, it's, it's, we see it as our baby. We see it as that. But for a lot of people, it's not that. And it's it's so it's so hard to manage those things. But it's, um, like you said, more people are going to talk about it. But yeah. I think one of the mistakes that I used to make, um, especially with my last business, was I always called it a family. Yeah, i called our, our, like yeah, connect, yeah, yeah, yeah. connected family the real fan. Family. and family's actually really bad yeah when of are describing it, right because well i mean you might be, you, you might want to cut out your family members to be fair but like, <laughs> for the most part you don't like and now i've started moving to describing it as a team yeah and team is the one where it's like we play for each other we wear the badge like it's all out there but teams yeah. evolve and you know as you go through the motions right like,
1: uh, we used to do that as well like and for a period it was like a very family like as a business but I don't. I try not to say that as well because yeah. I even like to have like a kind of like my own private life as well because I realize that when the business is you and it's seeping into you too much, like you can't even regulate your emotions sometimes. Like if if things aren't going bad on the dashboard that you're loyal to, yeah, I can't sleep. I'm yeah. up at two a.m., four a.m., and I'm just like, and it just becomes a cycle. So there needs to be a cut-off point, even with calling how you call your staff. But and I and I also think it's just like the key thing is about being consistent mm. throughout the business in terms of what you say. So like even if you're de- if you're like yeah we want to delegate and we're a team, then like even in the Monday meetings, I used to just lead the Monday meetings and just talk throughout it. And then I got to say, I was like, well, I'm telling everybody that we need to delegate. So then you I break it up so every like everyone has their piece or the team needs have yeah. their piece now and stuff. Uh, or their section, so I think it's just about having consistency as well. I, I got a question for you as well. Yeah, so, w- what's the biggest risk that you've taken?
0: Oh wow, I've never had it flip back on me. Before. Yeah, I, okay. I had to. I had to. <laughs> uh, biggest risk I've ever taken. Well, I, I dropped out of doing my masters to start mm. my first business. I I was halfway through uh, my masters. I was doing a, a masters in international conflict studies at LSE, um, and I loved the subject. I did it because I was I'm super passionate. I wanted to be a diplomat realized I wasn't very diplomatic <laughs> um so started started uh, this business on the side and uh it's called real sport it was this content creation toolkit and um we got to like one hundred seventy five thousand monthly active users within three months Mad. so we're like yeah okay we're really on something and then similar sort of thing had to tell my family like mm. yeah you know that <laughs> masters that we, like, dropped out so I think that was the biggest risk I took but yeah. you know can't ever look back and think like what could have been because um yeah, it's got us to where we are today. I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you.
1: Do you think that one day you'll get back into
0: nah, like politics? No, no. Now, look, I think it's fascinating. But yeah. if there's anything that I know now in the real world is that, oh, this is going to sound super controversial, but yeah. it doesn't matter who the politicians are. The system is the same.
1: I hear that. Politics, hear that.
0: politics doesn't change much. The system controls politics. And if yeah. you actually want to make changes, you've got to be able to change the system, not the, the players in the game.
1: I, I literally had this conversation the other day. Um... It's funny that you say that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you know. I think once you start getting into, into business, being a business owner, seeing what's working, seeing how the system actually works, you realise okay, there are, there's the way people perceive changes yeah. happen in society. Yeah. And then there's the ways that things actually change in society. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, it's not it's not all what what it seems to be at times.
1: No, 100%. It's like when when you start to realise, it's like. Google has a like a lobbying department and yeah. like all these big businesses have like these lobbying departments and they're lying in the pockets of like and like you're just like mad this isn't spoken about yeah. and I don't think that is from a Machiavellian point of view mm-hmm. I understand why because once you get into like and you start to build a business like you realize that everybody has to have aligned incentives yeah and those come in different forms so um, it just depends on the incentives and s- stuff needs to get done but um, I don't create the system, and it like you have to um, kind of work your way through it.
0: Yeah, and if you want to see a live example mm. of how the system controls everything, is Liz Trust comes in. Mm. Don't get me wrong; I don't think she did an amazing job by any means. Yeah. But as soon as she fucked with the markets, as yeah. soon as she fucked with the system, gone yeah. six weeks. Rishi comes in, ex-hedge fund guy who's made 750 million, made a lot of people very, very rich, yeah. understand what the system wants, understand what those with money want and what they want to do. It's like, yeah. great, let's put him in. So you realize, you know, when they all own lots of shares in the same company and yeah. they're all less than the same. I, yeah, I mean, we could go very, very deep. Yeah, we can be, go deep. I want to do another show with you. To yeah, be no, 100, We should definitely do that.
1: Because like I, like, I was literally speaking <laughs> about it the other day when in terms of like, a lot of the NHS contracts, they are. Um, I think it's Theresa May's husband owns the consultancy. You this know? is it. And look, I'm not saying what is or what isn't, but I'm just saying what I see. Yeah, you
0: know and I mean. Theresa May's husband was uh, a shareholder in the weapons company of, of which we sold 100 billion worth of weapons to. Exactly. You know these are not these are not conspiracies. These are facts. Yeah, they're facts. So. You know? um,
1: yeah it's the game is a game in it so we
0: basically we've we're gonna get kicked down seven minutes i'm gonna try and blast through the four there's the the last four quick questions okay so if there's anything in your life that you would have done differently what would it be
1: nothing um nothing differently i think it's what it is is about being more patient so i think my learnings have taught me to be more patient and that's it um think i am where i am because that's the way the universe wanted it to be but i have to just utilize the learnings that i've had from my ups and downs to create a better future that's it
0: that's an amazing answer to be fair that is an amazing answer okay what are you proudest of
1: that's a that's a very good question um professionally and personally so I think professionally um the most thing I'm proud of is that like obviously I built a business with my brother Musty. and like um we're building a business and like for me I think I'm very proud that we our relationship has never been sour for the past 4 years and it's amazing even when we completely disagree we talk to each other with like the utmost respect and I think um that's what I'm proud of within business because you often hear like companies like they just go to shit just because the founders uh, who are real friends they they um they they mess up and they fall out and stuff and I think me yeah. and him have having a, have an agreement in terms of like we never disrespect each other we um we respect each other's he's he's a Muslim he's um grew up in East London different background I grew up as a Catholic I'm Nigerian you know um and like it's completely different backgrounds mm. but we got the utmost respect for each other you know it's amazing um, so that's that's what I say like professionally is like the thing that I'm most proud of.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredible, and it's just just shows how having you know respect can really change the way relationships are driven if those are the the building blocks of of a relationship. Because having a co-founder is having having a a spouse. You yeah, know? I mean, it's, it's a marriage. It's yeah. a marriage.
1: <laughs> I always say I'm like I speak to um my girlfriend, I speak to him, and I speak to my family. Yeah, and like it's the most. You yeah. know, and even my girlfriend and him are like number one. I'm obviously my parents. But yeah, it's just funny.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, my second last question for you is: What does it take to be successful?
1: Um, grit. That's it. Um, I think you only actually fail when you give up. And like I always say to the team and stuff, like I'm a I'm a Nipsey Hussle disciple. Like I think um I used to watch his interviews even before he passed and everything. Yeah. And I was like, I used to listen to it like um Victory Lap like, every mm-hmm. morning before I went to the gym. Like every morning, Love like I that. used to like wake up to that. Um. And he in an interview, I think in a breakfast club or something, they they were asking him like, um, what what's the difference between? me? He's like, I just didn't stop. Mm. And I think there's been times when we've been like we wanted to give up, you know? We wanted we we're like, yo, there's no hope with this. Like we got, but it's grit, and that's it. Like um, I my mom always used to say to me as a kid, like, um, why like why is he why did he get A star? Has he got two heads? If I got like a B's, you'll be like, why, why, why did he get top of the class? so he got two heads? And I'll be like, what? And fortunately, um, I'm in a physical condition. Um, I don't have the struggles that some people in society have. Um, so with that, um, grit is uh, the only thing that will get you to be the max that you can be for yourself. So grit and consistency. like right? Th- Those two things. And you will probably max out for what you can achieve in your for the for what the physical and the environmental things have given you it's a great answer i love that
0: i love that all right my last one for you before we end is 15 year old you walks in the room right now what are you telling him
1: what am i telling him um i'll just be like be patient man um don't rush and just just be patient because if you're patient and you and you have grit and your consistency um then you'll achieve what you want to achieve at that time. Um, It ain't going to happen overnight.
0: Today that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you.